All right, um, we're looking at the book of Matthew, and I just, I love this book. I feel like there's a superhero theme, like I wanted to preach a superhero sermon uh, last week, but I couldn't, I couldn't quite like get my arms around it. But I think about the Jewish boy, you know, if you grew up as a Jew, who are your superheroes? It's like David, Moses part of the Red Sea, had plagues come down from a oppressing nation that enslaved you. Samson had superhuman strength. I mean, the t-shirts that Jesse wears, you know, like these are like real people in their history that they wear pajamas and they have sticks and, and, and the boys are just projecting these superheroes that they, that have actually come out of the, their lineage. I mean, they're not just uh, fantasy characters. They're not just comic book characters. They're real people that they can trace their lineage to and say, I'm related to Moses, you know? Oh yeah, I'm related to Elijah. And then they'll like duel, like fireballs versus frogs. And then, and then there was this anticipation of the greatest hero, the Messiah, that everyone was looking forward to. I actually met a, Jew, a Jewish Christian, but when he grew up as a Jew, people in, in like the last 20 years ago, as he was growing up, People, he would hear people whisper about whether he might be the Messiah. There was like this active anticipation for the Messiah coming, and the Jews still are waiting for that. Can you imagine growing up and be like, he might be it, you know? He might be the one, the chosen one. I mean, that's how they postured themselves. Uh, that's what they dreamt about. That's what they were anticipating And so when Jesus comes into the scene in Matthew chapter 1, verse 4, it's this announcement that the Messiah has arrived, that Superman has come, he's landed. And all these prophecies, all these ancient texts from thousands of years ago was being fulfilled, where he was born, the situation Israel would be in, the governing power. Um, you, You have Matthew being the writer of a gospel with the most Old Testament quotes than any other gospel. Uh, Angels are announcing this superhero's arrival. But as Jesus walks in, he does it in a different way. They're imagining someone coming in and strong-arming their oppressors and creating boundaries in a country that has borders, that's ruled by law and by by an iron scepter. But Jesus sets up a vision of a community, and then invites people into it. We call his kingdom the invisible kingdom because there are no boundaries and borders. But instead of bringing people into the kingdom, he brings the kingdom into people. And he invites people uh, in chapter 4 to 7 into this community, and he starts to describe it. And if you think about Karl Marx or Confucius, or other, other people who, who have Plato, right? He wrote a book on, on the perfect city. Jesus starts expounding his utopia, what it means to be in his kingdom. And it wasn't about external laws. It was about the heart changing. And that's what he was confronting the Jews about. Hey, you keep all of these religious laws, but your hearts are still evil. I, I want to change your hearts. I want to realign the very desires of your soul. And the people who will come to me, they're going to be the ones who are hungry and thirsty and humble. And I'm going to redirect 
their spirituality so that everything else will flow out of that. He paints a society, a, a community where people don't judge each other, where they always choose to forgive instead of hate, where they choose their wife instead of lusting, where they're authentic and they keep their word. He paints a society where people love God from the very core of their being instead of playing this social media game of spirituality. Instead of just doing it externally, who they are is in love with God. But what's interesting is this movement in Matthew. Matthew again and again does this movement from teaching to doing. From teaching to doing, right? So Verse 1 to 4 is the arrival, kind of this introduction of the rest of the story. The Messiah, the superhero has landed. God has come to to earth to reclaim it. And then there's a section of teaching from chapter 4 to 7 about what this community looks like, about what it means for the kingdom of heaven to exist on earth with people who choose to be a part of that kingdom. And then verse 8 through 10 is Jesus enacting the kingdom in power. And that's very different from, again, Karl Marx. That's very different from Plato. That's very different from the, the great thinkers, philosophers, uh, politicians who paint a vision of what society can look like because they don't actually have the power to enact it in the way that they desire to. So they can give vision for it. They can invite people into it. But when there's still disease and sin and, de- and demon- demonic oppression, they can't cast it out of their kingdom, but Jesus does. And so he's saying, I'm not just a great teacher. I'm a superhero. I'm God. And I'm going to do things that go beyond really great concepts of society. I'm going to show you through power this kingdom taking over darkness. And so that's where we are as we begin Matthew chapter 8. But before we do that, I have an introduction question. And uh, I would love to, for you guys to get into groups of two or three. Make sure no one's left out. So look around before you start the conversation. But what's something that you hide from other people? right? What, if you go on your uh, coffee and bagel dates, there's going to be things that you talk about right away. You know, I'm a film producer, says Mitchell Liu. Um, you know, or you put on makeup and then you present yourself in like a really put together way. And then there's things that only your family knows about you. And then there's things that takes two or three years of friendship before you show them what you really struggle with. And then there are things that only you know about yourself. And you wish you didn't even know that. So what are some of the things that we wouldn't present um, ourselves as right away? I would love for us just to spend three minutes talking about that. So go ahead and find someone next to you, one or two people. We'd love for you to take an opportunity to meet someone new. And then I'll come back up. All right. Thanks so much for sharing. We're going to jump into the text real fast. Uh, I love this part about our church. Let's see. All right, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, this is right after he taught at the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him. 
a man with leprosy knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he cleansed, he was cleansed of leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Here Jesus tells him not to tell anyone because there's a lot of misconceptions about what the Messiah would be. And Jesus at earlier on his ministry, didn't want to take on all of those assumptions. He wanted time to share with his disciples his vision of kingdom and what he was going to be about. So he wanted to kind of like slow the roll of these guys who experienced him. <clears throat> then Jesus had entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him and, and asked for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering horribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion answered, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with servants under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out into darkness. And there, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So Centurion is a Roman commander. They commanded uh, many troops. But this was also the occupying nation of the Jewish people. And so Jesus was reaching beyond the Jews to minister to a Gentile. And this Gentile who didn't have the Torah, who didn't wear Moses PJs or wave a stick around trying to part water, he's the one who shows great faith in, in Jesus. And that's why he makes the statement that the Jews, many of them would end up rejecting him. But the Gentiles, people from the east and the west outside of Israel, would be the ones invited into his kingdom to feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Jesus came to, into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lay in bed with a fever and he touched her hand. And the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. A thousand years ago, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So here, verse 16 kind of summarizes this movement away from teaching and talk into, because he ends up, he ends the Sermon on Mount with the people being amazed by his authority as a teacher. But now he says, I'm not just a teacher. I have power. I have real power to invade darkness, to drive out demons, to drive out illnesses, and he demonstrates that. We're going to spend the majority of our time uh, in, from 1 through 4 of chapter 8. It made me really sad as I was studying the scripture. I was like, man, there's three sermons here. I only get to preach it once. But um, here, Jesus, a man with leprosy comes, and he kneels at Jesus' feet, asking Jesus to heal him. And at the time, leprosy was the most 
feared disease in the known world. It was a brutal skin disease that would start rotting away your flesh. Your skin would turn color and texture. It would have this this disgusting odor to it. And their vocal cords would start to waste away as well. So they had this throat with a raspy voice. And it would start destroying their nervous system. So they would touch fire and not know they were burned. Or they would try to, let's say, open the door and break their arm because they didn't know it was locked. And so many people with leprosy ended up having nubs for hands and feet. Maybe the whole concept of zombies came out of leprosy. And then outside of the physical ramifications, there were dramatic social ones as well. They would be immediately, as they were diagnosed with leprosy, separated from their closest friends and family forever because it was a contagious skin disease. If you touch someone with a part of your body that was infected, they would then be infected as well. So can you imagine being a mom or dad sending away your child or being a child with um, a close group of friends having to be completely alone? When they walked into the streets, they had to wear uh, torn clothes so people know, knew that they had leprosy. They covered their mouth with a hand and they would scream, unclean, unclean, and people would just part. No one looked at them, interacted with them, let alone touched them. This part, their life was completely isolated. And when I think about what that looks like physically, socially, and even spiritually as they weren't allowed to go into the temple, they were not only physically unclean, but, but spiritually, had a spiritual implication. I think about how we might not have leprosy on our skin. We might even be able to hide uh, some of the places in our lives that are dark or evil, but we all have some leprosy in us, something that we, we don't want other people to see, something that feels like it's rotting our bones. You know, maybe we're struggling with depression, and we think, man, today's the day. I'm going to do it. Or we have anxiety attacks, and we, we don't want anyone to know about that. Maybe we're obsessed with our body, or we're obsessed with another person wanting so badly for someone to want us. Maybe we've given ourselves to sexual addiction, and we don't know how to get out. Or we've done something a year ago, 10 years ago, that we haven't been able to forgive ourselves of that we're haunted by, or maybe we've been abusive to our husband, our wife, our kid. We, we lost it, and we're not sure how to make up for that. Or our marriage is falling apart, or we wish we were married to someone else. There's, for all of us, there's a leprosy that resides, and, and we try our best to put it away. We're ashamed of it, and we separate that part of ourselves from everyone we come in contact with, feeling like it's a contagious disease, and it becomes this hidden part of us. But when I see Jesus healing this man, I think about how everything Jesus does 
in Scripture isn't just an isolated incident, but it's him saying, I want to do that for you as well. The same way he healed and loved another in 2,000 years ago, he's alive today. He wants to heal and love us in the same ways. But we see a man who came to Jesus with leprosy, and he came and knelt before him. And I just imagine him rolling up his clothes and showing him where he bled and his scars. And I wonder if we have been willing to present to Jesus our leprosy in, in deep and significant ways, not just as a tagline, but bearing our souls to him on our knees, desperate for healing. The second thing I see here is that he says, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. And the word Lord is very specific. People who don't believe in Jesus call him a teacher or a rabbi. But the word Lord has personal ramifications. Only believers call Jesus Lord. The centurion called Jesus Lord. And this word Lord meant that I it's not a title that he bears. It's a, it's a relationship. I am surrendering my life to you. You're not just a good teacher. You're not just God. Because James chapter 2, verse 19 says, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. So a mere belief in God doesn't make us Christian. Us thinking Jesus teaches well doesn't make us Christian. Us going to church doesn't make us Christian. You know, in, in Romans chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this confession that Jesus is Lord is saying that he has authority over my life. It's, it's like being married, right? It's like saying to, to Nina on my wedding day, that, that covenant, I want to marry you. You're the only girl that I'm going to do life with. And when we ask Jesus to be our Lord, it's that kind of promise. You're going to be the God I serve. You're going to have my life. It's not my own anymore. And with that confession, he comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And there's two things here. First is that he recognizes that Jesus can make him clean. He doesn't say, if you can make me clean, please do it. He doesn't question Jesus' authority over his illness. He doesn't say, man, are you, are you like a leprosy healer? You know, I've seen you heal these other people. Like maybe you just specialize in blindness. No, he's, he comes with the deep trust and assumption that Jesus can heal him. The centurion came in the same way. I'm a man under authority. I have people under me. I understand what it means to have power and control over something, to have a dominion. When I tell that man comes, he comes. When I tell that man goes, he goes. You don't have to come to my house. I can't host you. You're God. My house looks like, you know, a cardboard box to you. Um, just command the disease to leave. Do we? When, when, when Jesus marvels at the centurion's faith, Faith can feel like such a mystical word, you know? Like, do you have enough faith? And I'm like, how do you, like, can someone sprinkle faith on me? Faith in the Greek is pistis, and it simply means trust. Like, I fully trust that God is able. And this man comes to Jesus 
with deep and full trust in him. So in our lives, do we have full trust that God is able to heal us? Or do we trust in our friends more? Do we trust in our lover more? Do we trust in our therapist more? Or at the end of the day, do we say, no, Jesus, you can heal me. I want to be on my knees before you for healing. To say the word, you have authority. But we balance that out with our entitlement issues. This man fully trusted that the Lord can heal him, but then he says, if you are willing. He doesn't come with demands. He doesn't come like, you have to heal me. And, and I, I fall into that, right? When God doesn't answer my prayer, how do I know that I have entitlement issues? I shake my fist at him. I get bitter. I hold it against him. You know, I, I say, if you don't do this, I won't do that. This man, in all of his desperation, as his limbs are, are falling off, he says, if you will. He gives Jesus full authority and trust, but he also gives him the authority to choose to do or not do. He, do. he knows he is undeserving. And I wonder when we come to the Lord with great hope and desire for healing, do we do it with an open hand or do we do it with a closed fist? And when we come to him, do we do it because he's God, he's a good teacher, he might, not, he might even be a genie to answer our wish a few times? Or do we do it because he's the Lord of our life? You know, the thing about him healing our leprosy is that we see the thing we want him to heal, but it's attached to a hundred other things. And, if, and, and I think that God can't heal this thing unless we surrender all the other things to him too. Right? We're like, God, I'm struggling with body image. Just help me to stop thinking about my body or give me the perfect body. And God's like, actually, before we do this, we, we need to work on your daddy issues. We need to work on your value. We need to work on um, all these like you feeling accepted that these are the things that matter. Are, are you willing to surrender these things to God? That is the lordship part. And if we don't allow Jesus to be Lord of all of our lives, he can't heal in many times segment of our lives. And even if he does, he wants lordship. So this man, he says, Lord, I give my life to you. If you are willing, you can heal me. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I wonder how many years he's gone without a hug or a hand to hold. I wonder how long this space in his life has felt completely isolated and alone. When he walks into crowds, they part like the Red Sea. They run. It's like he's a zombie. He's inhuman. Jesus stands in front of him. He listens to him. And he does the unthinkable. He touches this man. I hope that we would invite Jesus in and again to touch us where we feel the most unclean, the most alone, 
the most evil. That we would say, Jesus, would you touch me there and heal me? The place where no one else sees or knows about, the place where I hate visiting until it just haunts me in my dreams, would I come to you with open hands, say, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean, and would I, would you receive the touch of the Lord? I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. Um, a few stories I wanted to share with you is uh, our brother Eric Gonzalez became Christian uh, during Good Friday service. And afterward, I asked him for permission to share, and I asked him twice to make sure. Um, thank you, Nina. And uh, he came over to my house, and, and he shared his testimony with me. He talked about how um, before he became Christian, he was a debt collector, and he would just you know, someone has to do the job, but you're entering into people who are very fragile and asking them for money, and usually they're, they're already broke. And so there, he's on the phone with this man who says, I just need an extension. And our brother's like, I can't give that to you. And he says, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to take my life. And um, a couple of days later, he took his own life. And Eric found out, and it devastated him. And he just thinks about, he just thought about everything he could have said and done to be more compassionate. And he held that for years. He never shared it. But on Good Friday, when we thought about how Jesus was brutally executed, I think the brutality of, of the cross allows us to be brutally honest with our evil. Right? Like if Jesus got slapped on the wrist, I would have to dumb down all my sins for as a slap on the wrist type of punishment. Jesus got massacred. So Eric was able to bring that before Jesus and say, would you forgive me? And I want to give my life to you. During this time, Eric reached out to this man's family, found out that somehow all of their family was gathered at Disneyland for no reason and wanted to hang out with him. So he went to the hotel room, and he just basically apologized, asked for forgiveness. And they said, and I said to him, like, you can't, it's not your fault he took his life, even though maybe you could have done things. It's, that weight of it isn't on you. They said that to him as well. But they also said, we forgive you. And um, there's just so much healing and redemption. And then I also asked Janelle to come up and share about her story also. And so I'm really excited. Um, really excited to hear about Jesus' healing in her life. We got to baptize her on Sunday. It works. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> okay, he asked me to read my, um, just a thing. Okay, April 6th, 2018. A year ago today, I was admitted into the behavioral health floor of the Mount Nittany, Mount Nittany Medical Center in State College, Pennsylvania. They just so happened to have a bed open for me. I was fortunate. The other place wasn't so great, they said. It scarred people. I ended up there in hospital gown and wheelchair because of the one cut on my wrist I'd made just the day before. My counselor was worried. She said I was very depressed. The point was that I didn't have the will to live any longer. 
When I projected into my future, I saw miles of darkness, wandering, and aimless working. Unending unhappiness. Most of it was my fault. The rest was the normal cruelty of the world we lived in. Why would I want to stay? No cell phone. Suddenly the world was very quiet. No shoes unless they had no laces. You could hang yourself with laces. No bracelets, no hair ties, no mirror, just a polished piece of metal. The toilet was a single piece of plastic, and the door to the bathroom was a formality. I could peek over and see my roommate. I could hear her pee. Nothing to do. The last group therapy had ended. Individuals filtered into their rooms. What did people that wanted to die do in the hospital? They slept. A woman rolled in with mussed hair and crooked glasses, a lulling mouth. She looked wrecked. I padded into the lobby living room thing where the cube of nurses supervised all behavior. I sat at the long dining table. I opened my Bible and my journal, the two possessions other than my clothes I was allowed to have. In that Bible reading, God desired to really know my choice, knowing that I've kept suicide on my heart for so long. My Bible reading was in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. I need to get it. I'm just going to read some parts in that Bible reading that really struck me where God was like really convicting my heart. 29 um, verse 2 says, You have seen all the Lord, all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all of his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the great and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Um, and I felt like God really did this to me. My, my testimony has to do with um, visualizing and seeing the spiritual gifts and acted like healings, speaking in tongues. And I've, I've seen this. I've seen God do these great wonders, these miracles. Um, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to see. Um, 30 uh, verse 2 says, return to the Lord your God and obey his voice with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 3, then your Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And I felt that he was saying that about me right there. I felt like I was only a few miles away from campus, but I felt already so far from my fellowship, from those that knew me. And I felt like God was saying, like, I'm going to come and bring you back in after this. Um, And he will make you a prosperous and numerous as your fathers, and the Lord will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you when you obey the voice of the Lord your God, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Um, then verse 11, um, in my ESV version, it's captioned, The Choice of Life and Death. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Um, And this is the verse where I'm like wrecked. Um... 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life 
that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And when I read this, I was so alone in the hospital, and I just felt like it was so quiet. And I just felt like heaven was leaning over and that listening to me, just like wondering what my choice will be. Like I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. And I set before you life and death, blessing and curse, black and white. Life is a blessing. Death is a curse. And in my head, um, with entertaining suicide for so long, um, death wasn't a curse. Death was, you know, a way out. Death was something potentially good. But God was showing me that it wasn't. He said, he was saying to me, choose life. Um, And he gave me a choice. And I think that's what's really beautiful about God, that he gives us a choice. Um, Even though he knows, like, what's what's the answer that he wants to hear and what's the right answer, he still gives us a choice. Um, So this is just the end. God gives a choice to give us freedom to allow us to express ourselves and be the miracle we are, to to reveal what's in our hearts, to love by a mindful act of the will. God never forces. He never bangs down the walls and breaks in. He always waits, always persists, is ever patient, asks consent, always pursues. He loves life. He gives life. He is life. There is no life outside of him. My prayer is, is that you would experience the healing that Janelle and Eric experienced. That you allow Jesus to touch you in the place that you need healing the most. And so we're just going to close our time. This for me is the most important part of the service because we get to pray for each other. And the same authority Jesus had um, to heal, um, to invade darkness, he says, at the end of Matthew, all authority in heaven I give to you. Go and make disciples. I hope that we would pray with authority today over our own lives and over each other. Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. That we would ask the Lord to take, that we would say, Lord, take all of my life. And then we would ask him, if you are willing, that we would surrender our entitlement. But we would say, you can make me clean. Believe that We don't have to wrestle with all of these things forever, but that he can touch and heal us. He has authority to do that. So as you go back into your small groups, please pray this. And then um, I would love for you in your small groups to take communion together. And it says that he bore our, our diseases. You know, we have this freedom because he took our diseases and infirmities upon himself. That Jesus was someone who didn't believe that if he touched someone, he would become unclean. He, t- he believed that when, he knew that when he touched someone, they would become clean. And so we can confidently invite Jesus to touch our lives as we take communion as well. And lastly, we have a prayer station in the back and we've asked Ken and Chrissy to pray. And there are people who have spent many years listening to the voice of God and being able to speak that into you. So maybe you're not a Christian, but I hope that, you would desire something supernatural today. 
And maybe they can listen on your behalf, whether you're a Christian or not, to speak into and to touch those places in your life. All right? I'll pray for us, and then we can pray for each other. Father, um, this is it. God, like, this is why we did today, so that you can hear our prayers and heal us, so that you can touch the places that we have leprosy that we haven't shown people for a long time. But Lord, I pray that we would feel safe enough to show you, and that we would feel your touch and presence in a place that we felt alone in, um, and that we would receive your healing, because you're our Lord. So today, today I ask that those who have struggled with depression and anxiety, those who have had an illness, those who have carried around bitterness or something they can't forgive themselves of, that you, Jesus, would touch them, that you would heal them. We open our lives to you this morning for your power to invade us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, would you just go, go ahead and pray for each other?